Good evening, church. It's good to see you. I wish I could see you on a Wednesday evening. Today I wanted us to look at a very familiar passage of scripture uh, and uh, I've entitled this, If, If, Romans chapter 8, one of the favorite passages of Christians uh, throughout the world, Romans chapter 8 begins with verse 31, the Apostle Paul is speaking to us and he says these things, what then shall we say to these things? All these things he's talked about. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he shall not, oops, how shall he not uh, with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who makes us right in his eyes. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen and who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, guide us into your word. Let us uh, take it and learn from it. Let us uh, grow from it. Father, I pray that these words will sing into our hearts and encourage us and uh, remind us of just how much you love us. Uh, be with those who are sick and afflicted. Be with those who are suffering. Father, be with those who do not know you. Convict them of their need to do that very thing this hour. And Father, we thank you for all things because all every good and perfect gift is from you. And so we want to praise your name for that in Christ's name. Amen. Growing up, I think I've shared before, a lot of the work I did was at little sawmills uh, until Dad uh, opened one and then I worked for him. But in these sawmills, I worked with a lot of different characters, a lot of different kinds of people, a lot of different ages, uh, from a lot of different backgrounds. But a couple of them stick out. I worked at one pretty good sized sawmill that employed about 60 guys. and. Uh, one of the days when I was stacking lumber and stripping it, which means to put the, the little uh, wood in between it so air can flow through it so it can dry properly, uh, putting the staves in between it, I would work with uh, one of these two guys usually all day long for several months, and they, they tell me they were Christians, but one day... They'd be happy and going pretty good, and then inevitably by the next week something would happen and they were going bad, and one day they were saved, and one day they were lost, and back and forth. I just thought that was miserable existence, and it was miserable for me because you never knew uh, what you were going to face on that day with your coworkers. That forced me to try to think of some things. Uh, what did I believe about salvation? Why did I believe about salvation? Well, from this passage and others, I want us to understand that 
Our salvation is secure because of Christ. Not because of us. Not because of what we've done or haven't done. Not because of the circumstances of the world, whether good or bad. But because of the work that Christ did on the cross and being raised from the dead. Because of that, our salvation is secure. It is lasting. It does not change. And so I think the Apostle Paul uh, starts off with two or three things. He starts off with our own selves. How could that change our salvation? He moves on to the world and then he moves on to the future. And in all things he wants to know, once again, our salvation is secure because of Jesus. Okay? And so let's look at some of these things. He starts uh, with verse 30 thing. Verse 31. I can't talk. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He starts off with that little word, if. If God is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? If. If translates a little preposition, E-I, in the Greek. Greek. And a better translation would be, since, because that, that if is often used in the Greek in these conditional sentences that Paul writes to mean that it's true, that it's assumed is true. It's assumed God is for us because he did not spare Jesus, uh, the awfulness of the cross, to provide our salvation. If God would do that, then he's really for us. So we should read it, since God is for us, who could be against us in the Answer is no one. Uh, really, you need to understand, is anyone greater than God? No. So can anyone rob us of, rob us of our salvation? No. They're not different. No one can take our salvation because God is for us and he saved us. Uh, we can't put ourselves out of God's grace. Because of this reason, we couldn't save ourselves, and so we can't unsave ourselves. Oh, that's not really a word, but that's the point. And can God the Father take away our salvation? No! He wouldn't do that. It says in verses 31 and 32 again, What then shall we say to these things? Since God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, God's not going to take our salvation because of Christ, because of Christ's work, because Christ forgave us. The God who saved us when we were enemies is not going to always change his mind and kick out blood-bought believers those who accepted Christ and were cleansed and forgiven of sin. Do we understand that? We understand that it says, who should bring a charge against God's elect? All right? It is God who justifies. So justify means to be made right in the law of God, in God's eyes. We are justified because of the work of Jesus that we accepted. We accepted it. Uh, by grace, through faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And that makes us justified in his eyes. See, they can't bring a charge uh, against us. 
The devil can't, nobody can. We can't be found guilty after accepting Christ because of four basic reasons. They're just very simple. Christ died. His death was sufficient to pay the penalty for my sin and for your sin. He was the Lamb of God. He was without blemish. He was without sin. His death satisfied God's wrath. And secondly, because of Christ's resurrection. He laid down his life. He took his life up again. He won victory to the glory of God the Father. He didn't just die. He died, but he rose again. Thirdly, he's exalted position. This scripture says he's now seated forever at the right hand of God. We're going to look at that in a little bit. And he continues to intercede. In other words, he continually prays for us. Those mean that no one can bring a charge against God's elect because God is the one who justifies. We cannot be found guilty. All right? Let's go on. It says that he freely gives us whatever things that we need. The word freely there um, means out of his grace. It means to freely restore grace in such a way uh, that uh, it's overflowing. Another way of saying it would be he paid whatever price necessary that we would be totally forgiven, that we would be totally saved. God didn't save half of us. He doesn't save us uh, to be saved on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and lost on Tuesday, Thursday, and Sundays. He saved us completely. It means the work was such a price that Jesus paid that it was complete. And because of that, our salvation is secure in Jesus. He's free to give us whatever things we need for salvation and life and blessings. That's His grace. And so as He goes on through here. He says, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore also is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And so who is it? God's not going to condemn us. We may condemn ourselves, but if we have accepted Christ, Christ has forgiven us. God has justified us. Christ even now sits at the right hand of the Father, and the word means there he continually sits making intercession for us. It's God's unlimited forgiveness. And so it means we can't send ourselves out of heaven. It means God's not going to kick us out. 1 John 1, 9, the, the verse for every blood-bought believer. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. It means we're secure in Christ Jesus. Do we understand that? Do we understand that God truly loves us? There are so many scriptures that talk about uh, God's love in the Old and New Testament. I want to read just, just a few of them. Okay, In Psalm, some of these will sound familiar. In Psalm, starting with verse 27, verse 1, and it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
The answer is no one. He is for us. He has saved us. Jesus paid the price. God accepted that because he was the perfect sacrifice for the law of God to satisfy the holiness of God and the wrath of God against us. Psalm chapter 37 verse 28 says it this way. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. They are preserved forever. We can keep going. There's so many of these. I just got a, a smattering, a sample of them, if you will. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Exactly what Paul quotes in just a little bit in Romans 8. Uh, Psalm 46, beginning with verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its set swelling, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place, the tabernacle of God. God will help her just at the break of dawn. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with verse 22, says this. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Then he goes on in verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host. He calls them by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might, by the strength of his power. Not one is missing. That's our God. Have you not known in verse 28? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator that ends the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's the God who is for us. Do we understand that? Again, our salvation is secure because of Christ Jesus. Then I get a question where it says, Who is he who condemns? Who is it who condemns? Can the devil take away our salvation? No! He's called the accuser, the condemner. In our, in our vernacular, it would be the prosecuting attorney. What he was originally created for was to stand before God and, and to make accusations against those who fail God, who do not believe in God. He perverted that. He became full of pride. He was cast out of heaven. Now he goes around. Still trying to accuse us in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. It tells us, these words, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser. There it is. 
of our brethren who accused them before our God night and day has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even to death. That's what God has done for us. Satan can't take away our salvation. We're securing Christ. Now would Jesus take it away? I've had people say that. I've done so much problem. Jesus would cast me out. Not if you have believed in him. Not if you've placed your faith in him. Not as the spirit has drawn you. You confessed your sins. You repented and placed your faith in Jesus. His completed work on the cross. His power of the resurrection. His ascension to heaven. He's coming back for me and for you. That Jesus, the biblical Jesus. Do you understand? Why would he reject us when the scripture says right here in verse 35 or 34 when it says, Who is he who condemns? Is it the Christ who died and furthermore is also at the right hand of God? who also makes intercession for us. And the word there means he continues. There's something interesting there that we often miss. Do we understand that Jesus, after he finished his work, ascended to high, he's at the right hand of the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father. That is the seat of honor, the seat of power. That is the seat uh, where Jesus is at and even now intercedes for us. Whispering prayers to God. That one is ours. Help them. That one is God, ours. Forgive them. That one is ours. And he intercedes on our behalf. But there's something else interesting. There were no seats in the temple in the old sacrificial system. The priest's work was never done. It was constant motion offering up the offerings because they were not enough. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was enough that it is finished and even now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 10, 11 through 13 and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice who could never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made as a footstool. For by one offering he is perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's us. Sanctified means to be made more like Christ. It's a process after salvation. From now till the time God calls us home, we're being made more like Jesus. Then we're glorified. God has justified us. He's in the process. He justified us at the moment of salvation. He's in the process of sanctifying us, the continuing process of our salvation, making us more like Christ. And then he's going to glorify us when we finally get to heaven. Praise God. Y'all should be excited. I hope so. I am. And then he starts mentioning not just our own self. He starts mentioning the things of the world that we think about it. Now, look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he starts mentioning the circumstances. This is where life comes in. This is where the rubber hits the road. All these things that I've said are true, but maybe you haven't been applying them. So Christ applies them to our circumstances. 
Shall tribulation separate us? Tribulation means to be squeezed. Sometimes life takes our breath away. It feels like the pressure is just squeezing us till we can't stand it. The burden's on top of us like a giant rock pressing down upon us. It's hard to breathe. And the answer to that is our tribulation. No. Our distress. Distress means narrow. Means hemmed in. It's like having your back to the wall. You don't see a way of escape. It looks like certain doom. Shall that? No. Shall persecution? Persecution means afflicted for Christ, and and we're going to be afflicted for Christ in this world. Uh, Jesus said, "In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will have persecution." But he said, "But do not fear. I've overcome the world." Or famine, that could be natural famine from drought, or it could be uh, man-made famine from uh, people holding back uh, grain from countries. He says, can famine that causes starvation separate us from Christ? No. Or nakedness, not having the proper clothing, not having the things for shelter, not having the goods of this world. Nakedness, inadequate. Peril. Peril means danger. It means danger on every hand. No. And he goes on and he says, sword. It might be being killed for Christ, being martyred for Christ. Remember, Paul himself was a martyr for Christ outside of Rome because he was a Roman citizen. He couldn't be crucified. When he was condemned, he was taken out with a sword. They chopped off his head. Short sword. And then he goes on and he quotes that psalm that I read earlier. I think it's 4420. Uh, trying to... Remember which one it is. It's 4422. Psalm 4422. For your sake, we're killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Remember, Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. He was slaughtered on that cross. He did not make one sound. He did not make one objection. He went to the cross for you and for me. These circumstances don't change it. I know that because of verse 37, where it says. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Wow. And then he talks about the future. In verse 38. For I am persuaded in neither death. The great enemy of God. But Christ defeated death for us. It has no hold on us. 1 Corinthians 15. Beginning with verse 55. It says, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Death has been conquered. Jesus did it. He gives us the victory. Life. Life is full of spiritual and physical dangers. Do we understand that? But God equipped us to handle that. Paul said in, in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do we understand that? How about angels? He lists them here. Can, can angels separate us? No. Angels are the messengers, the servants of God. And he's already said God is for us. If anything, angels are going to help us at the word of God, at the command of the Father. What about 
He says, powers, principalities. These are the fallen angels. But we know in life, when Jesus was here, they were subject to his commands. They had to obey him. Even now, as always so, they have to obey. They're subject to him, as it's always been. He says, no things present, nor things to come. Nothing of the created order can take us away from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nor height, nor depth. Nor any other created thing. Height or depth. A lot of people try to base their lives on the astrological signs. I, I've said this before and I hope you remember it. It's the apogee and the pedigee. The, the height of the star where it was the strongest to control your life. The depth of the star where it was the lowest to help you. But we don't depend on the stars. We serve a risen Savior. We serve a God who never changes. Remember what James said? Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of light to whom there's no variation, no change. Now the book of Hebrews tells us Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Never changing. The stars don't control our lives. These evil principalities and powers do not control our lives. We're under the blood of Jesus Christ. We are secure in Him. He says, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from God's love which is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we are secure because of Christ. <clears throat> in this time of COVID, you've been worried. You've been afraid. Maybe you've been depressed. Life is turned upside down. Never thought I'd see these things in my day. Wearing masks to funerals. Not being able to go to the hospital because they won't allow me in. Only one person in at a time. To see somebody who needs prayer, who needs sickness, who needs help. Never thought I'd learn the distance. Learn social distancing. Who came up with that word? That means it's time for me to stop. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, which is Christ Jesus. My beloved brethren, the church of the living God here at Gaspel Baptist Church, realize you're secure. Take some time this week to pray and thank God. Read this passage on how secure you are and praise him for it. We're done. Have a good evening.